All right, everybody, welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I am Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. Here, back again with Wes McAdams. Hi, Wes. Hey, Travis. It's been forever since you and I recorded one Long together. Long time no see. Yeah, man. I'm excited. Me too. We're doing You've this. been with the podcast yes. the whole time. It's yes. just that the audience hasn't been able to That's hear right. your your deep baritone voice. Yeah. But it's th- it's been there yes. behind the editing. <laughs> behind the yeah, behind right. the editing screen for sure. So today you kind of gave me a quick heads up about the topic. Yeah. But I want to hear you introduce it again officially. Yeah. yeah. So I thought we'd start a new series. We just got done doing a series on hope for the future of the church, and and that was really good. But I'm looking forward to doing a more focused Bible study series, and so we're just going to call this one. What does this passage mean? And like if that. somebody has a passage that they'd like for us to talk about, send it to us. Uh, Travis and I may talk about some of these these verses, uh, and then there's going to be some other guests that join us in the coming weeks. But we're just going to take a verse or a passage and talk about what it means. And and during that process and through that process of talking about some specific verses. I think it's helpful to sort of break down how each week, and this is why I wanted for you and I to do this sort of introductory episode of this Mm. series, to talk about the process of discovering the meaning and application of a passage. Often when we read a verse of the Bible, or when somebody says, what does this verse mean? What they're really asking is, what does this verse mean for our lives today? Right. And that's a question of application, not a question of interpretation or meaning. And I think we too often jump first to application, Mm -hmm. and it's understandable. We want to know, what does this mean for me? How do I live this out? But we have to remember that the Bible was not written to us. It was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. We were not the original audience of these books of the Bible. So today we're going to talk about 1 Timothy. Well, 1 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to the evangelist Timothy. It wasn't written to Wes or to Travis or to anybody living in the 21st century. And so if we're going to apply it, that has to be a later step. And and the way that you do uh, Bible study in a, in a very um, um, expository kind of a way where you're really trying, or exegetical kind of way, where you're trying to get the meaning out of the text, is you have to start with, there's three steps. Um, and the, it's observation, interpretation, and application. So first you do sort of a step of, of observation where you just read, what does this, what does it say? And so you, you work your way through the text and you look at things in context. You pay attention to uh, words that are used. You pay attention to how things are phrased. You, you might, if you're not familiar with the original languages, as most of us are not, you, you might compare translations and say, oh, okay, well, this translation translates it this way and this translation translates it that way. All of this is part of the observation step where you're just observing what the text says. So another way to put it would be, if it's observation, interpretation, and application, you could phrase it as, what does it say, what does it mean, and what does it mean for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the application. So the first step, again, observation, what does it say? And then you move on to interpretation, what does it mean? Now, some people will make the claim, the Bible doesn't need to be interpreted. 
which is a silly statement. No offense to anybody who's ever said that, but it is a silly statement. Every written language, in fact, even spoken language has to be interpreted. You have to ask yourself, what does this person mean by that? If somebody says, hey, stop it. Well, you have to ask, stop what? What, what are they talking about stopping? Are they talking to me? Was that meant for me? And if it was meant for me, what was the context? And what did they mean by stop it? If you are driving down the road and you see a stop sign, you have to interpret that. Now, you have enough information probably to interpret that well that you do it without even really thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But if somebody is writing a letter to another person, even if this was today, even if I was reading a letter that you wrote to your sister, right. if I was reading that letter, there would be a lot of things in there I would have to interpret and say, well, what is Travis trying to say to his sister when he says this? What does he mean by that? Right. Now, take that and multiply it exponentially when you talk about the fact that these letters were written 2,000 years ago in another language that had to be translated into English. So you have so many layers that, of course, it has to be interpreted. We have to ask very good questions about what does this text mean? And when we say, what does it mean? That, that is to say, what did it mean to its original audience? Right. What was Paul saying to Timothy and what did he mean by that? Then, and only then, after we have a pretty good grasp of what does it say and what does it mean, the observation and the interpretation, can we move to the final step of application and say, okay, well, what, what can I do with this information today? Right. Uh, sometimes the application is believe it. <laughs> That's right. the application. Just believe that this is true. Right. Uh, sometimes it is imitate it, do something similar. Uh, if this is an, an apostle talking to a Christian or to an evangelist, well, how do I live out something similar in my life? But we, we have to be very careful sometimes that we don't just flatten everything out right. and, and take away all of the nuance and, and all of the, the differences so that we act like, well, I just do everything the Bible tells me to do. I, I love it when people say that. Well, I follow the whole Bible. I just follow what the Bible tells me. And I, I like to ask people, how's your ark coming? You know, <laughs> exactly. Have you built an ark lately? Yeah. Of course you haven't, because you understand God said that to Noah. He didn't say that to Wes. And mm -hmm. so I don't build an ark because that wasn't a commandment that was given to me. Now, does that mean there's no application to the story of the flood? Well, of course not. There's plenty of application, but it's not go build an ark. And right. so we have to apply it in a way that that makes sense for us in our life, the way God would have us to, to apply it to our life. So with sort of all of that foundational stuff, we'll, we'll spend each week kind of walking through those steps uh, with our different guests and with our different passages. And today our text is from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. So Travis, you want to read First Timothy two fifteen for us. Yes, sir. And then we'll then we'll talk about we'll we'll kind of go through the steps of of it. First Timothy two fifteen. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. I am so glad you read it that way. What translation? Was the, the New Living Translation? The New Living Translation. Now, now read that one more time again, because this is part of the observation process. And so, in the New Living Translation, it says, "But women will be saved through childbearing, 
assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Excellent. So I'm going to read it out of the English Standard Version, Mm -hmm. and the listeners listening on their run or in their car, wherever they are, try to see what you notice, even just from this verse that's different. It says, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Mm. Now, I, I put the emphasis on the words, so it's probably easy to tell what the difference was. But in the New Living Translation, it says women, plural, will be saved, like talking about women, right. will be saved through childbearing. In the English standard, it says she will be saved through childbearing. Mm -hmm. And so the English standard is giving an indication to the reading audience that there's a change in from singular verse 15 or the beginning of 15. She will be saved through childbearing to plural in the latter part of that verse that says if they continue in faith and love. Now, that reads really funny, right? I mean, that sounds really weird. She will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love. Now, the New Living Translation has already done some interpretive work for us, and it's almost impossible for a translation not to do some interpretive work. And so they've interpreted, and they said, well, even though it says she, singular, Paul is talking about women in general. Right. And so he's he's they went ahead and translated it that way so that you you get what they believe is the idea. Now there are some people who interpret it a little bit different and they really zero in on that she and they, uh, but obviously the translators of the New Living Translation didn't do that. Now, it's really important of course to pay attention to context, right? We mm-hmm. we know that the the you can't reach the right conclusions about Scripture unless you look at the context. Unfortunately, sometimes we think context means the verse before it and the verse <laughs> after it. That might be the immediate context, but you have to read. Again, everybody yeah, knows so my, many contexts. Exactly. Yeah. There's so many. There's so many layers. Social. To, absolutely. Cultural, yes. Specific to that church, to the people he's writing to. Yeah. Absolutely. The literary context, mm-hmm. the historical context. Absolutely. So context is multifaceted and multi-layered. Um, but even if we're just talking about the context of what's written, everybody knows my soapbox is to read whole books of the Bible. And a, and a book like First Timothy, it's pretty easy to do that. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to know what does First Timothy 2.15 mean, well, the first thing I would encourage somebody to do, we won't do it on today's podcast, but sit down and read the whole book, yeah. because then you're going to understand Paul's, his, his, his thought process, the, the direction he's heading, what, what the big picture idea here is. And, and then you're going to say, well, I'm not really sure maybe what he means by saved through childbearing. Like, that's really weird. Like, why are women saved through childbearing? That doesn't seem in keeping with everything else Paul says about salvation. Right. But you're going to say, oh, but I see the big picture. I see his general line of reasoning. I see what he's trying to get across. And even if I don't know what this phrase means, I see the big picture. And sure. then the importance of it is sort of dwarfed by the rest of the the understanding of the rest of the book. And then you're going to say, well, this is just a small part of whatever he's saying. Yeah. And even if you can't really grasp that one unusual phrase, and this is an unusual phrase, you're going to get the big picture. So I, I just want to point out some things 
if you were to sit down and read the whole book that you might pick up on. Uh, you want to read for us, Travis? Um, and again, this is a really good way to do it, is mm-hmm. read from two different translations. Like so the fact that you're reading from the New Living is good. So First Timothy 2, read verses 1 and 2, if you don't mind. You got it. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Okay. See, that, that, that last phrase is so good. Lead these kinds of peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified lifestyles. And I think if somebody was to sit down with the whole book of 1 Timothy, that's one of Paul's major points of emphasis, is that Christians should live these kinds of lives, lives that are dignified and godly, that aren't bringing reproach on the church. And that's a really important thing. Again, sometimes in our modern context, we talk more about application later, but but we, we sometimes fail to recognize the importance of that, that everything we do as a Christian reflects either positively or negatively on the church. And Paul's major emphasis in what's often called the pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, in these letters that he writes to Timothy and Titus, he's really big on this idea that people have to stay in their lane. They have to live their lives in a good, quiet, godly, dignified kind of way. They have to keep keep in line with social expectations, because if they don't, then they're going to not only bring reproach upon themselves personally, but upon the rest of the church uh, collectively. And, and so that's one of his major points of emphasis. Um, skip down, if you would, to, well, even read verses 3 and 4. I, I'm curious to see how it reads in that translation. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Okay. And that's, again, part of that, that emphasis of people need, the Christians need to live peaceful and quiet lives so that even more people can come to know Jesus, because that's what God wants. And so if my lifestyle, lifestyle. right, exactly. If my lifestyle is getting in the way of, of people's salvation, then that's a problem, not only for me, but for those people as well. Skip down to verse eight. If you would read verses eight through 10. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. And I want women to be modest in their appearance They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things that they do. Okay. Wow. I really like how the New Living Translation... And again, that's one of the things about differences of translation is that sometimes they're more or less interpretive. Mm. And so it reads better and reads more right. smoothly the more interpretation that goes into it. Mm-hmm. But you also lose some of the, the nuance of the original language because it doesn't necessarily make sense in an English translation. And right. so they, they sort of smooth all of those bumps out uh, by, by interpreting it a little bit more. But yeah, but, but the point that Paul is making is pretty obvious that, that men sh- should be not involved in anger and quarreling, because again, if they stain their hands with anger and quarreling, then they're bringing reproach upon the whole church. And women shouldn't adorn themselves with 
fancy clothes, but should adorn themselves with good behavior, modesty, self-control, um, godliness, good works. And so again, over and over again, his emphasis throughout all of this for both men and women is to live quiet, dignified, humble, loving, godly, full of good works kind of lives. Don't make a spectacle of yourself. Right. Don't, don't draw negative attention to yourself and to the church. Or even in this case, don't even draw necessarily positive attention to yourself in a way that's not godly, in a way that's not humble, in a way that's proud. And so all of these things are in the same line of thinking. Then he says, I'm going to read from, uh, from the ESV starting in verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I don't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain silent, or remain quiet, rather. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, again, even though that, that first phrase is kind of problematic, she'll be saved through childbearing. We'll talk about what does that might mean. But... But we notice that his, his reasoning really hasn't changed. He's still emphasizing continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. It's all about their character and living above board, living in a way that brings honor to the church rather than dishonor and, and disrepute. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's really important, again, to keep the whole context of the book in mind. So chapter 5 really, I think, sheds a lot of light on what Paul means here, especially when he talks about childbearing. If you would, Travis, read from 1 Timothy 5, uh, start in verse 3, maybe read through verse 8. 1 Timothy 5, verse 3. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her, but if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Now a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Okay. I love the way it says in the New Living, in verse 7, he says, so that they won't be open to criticism. Is that what it says? No, so that no one will be open to criticism. Yeah. Good. And, 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 yeah. and that's exactly what the phrase, that they may be without reproach. Mine says, so that they may be without reproach. Mm -hmm. And again, so much of what Paul says, here he's talking about widows. Uh, in chapter 3, he talks about elders how they manage their households, how they deal with their family. Mm -hmm. All of these things bring either honor or dishonor upon individuals, but also on the whole church. And how we deal with our families and how we take care of our families and how we stay in our lane and how we live dignified lives, a lot of that is played out in the home. A lot of that is played out in the family. And he says, these are the kinds of widows that the church should support. Mm -hmm. These kinds of widows who have, have lived their life in, in such a way that they've brought honor to the church and not dishonor. And, and he says uh, that people, their families should take care of them first. 
their right. children, their grandchildren should take care of them. And if somebody won't take care of the members of their household, they're worse than an unbeliever. And so, so much of what Paul has to say is all within this, under the same umbrella of, of argument that he's, he's making. Um, he says in verse, uh, verses 11 and 12, refuse to enroll, like on a support system for the church, refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. We'll come back to that idea in a second. But then he says, verses 14 through 16, and this is the part, if I was kind of writing in the margin of my Bible, and I know people are probably driving or running or whatever they're doing. But so don't do that. Yeah, so don't try to write in the margin of your Bible right now. But if I was going to write in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 and say, what does 1 Timothy 2.15 mean? I would put a note out beside it, see 1 Timothy 5.14 through 16, because I think that those two passages at the beginning and the end of this book really shed light on one another. So would you read chapter 5, verses 14 through 16? So I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, take care of their own homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. For I'm afraid that some of them have already gone astray and now follow Satan. If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. Hmm. Good. So there's so many there's so many points that we could make, but just notice in this observation step the similarities between 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Timothy 5, and then you could also throw in there Titus chapter 2. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but one of Paul's major emphasis is maintaining the dignity of the church and the church not falling under reproach mm-hmm. so that the, the, the opposition, whoever that may be, the adversary, might not have any legitimate criticism against the church. There's plenty that the enemies of Christianity can say about the church, but it should be limited to you follow Jesus and that's weird. Right. It shouldn't be you people don't take care of your family. Mm-hmm. You people are just running wild. You people aren't participating in society. You people are a mess. Your, your homes, your lives, your families are a wreck. That should not be a charge that the world can level against the church. Mm-hmm. And if, if it can, if the world can level those kinds of charges against the church, then it brings reproach upon Christianity. Mm-hmm. And again, our minds are probably already going to the application stage of this, and, and that's good, but but just kind of keeping it in that realm of observation and saying, these are the kinds of instructions that Paul is giving to this evangelist Timothy and also to Titus, that when you're preaching to these people and you're ministering to these people and you're guiding these people, this is what we're aiming for. We're aiming for order. We're, we're aiming for a peaceful, quiet life where everybody is taking care of their responsibilities, where families are taking care of one another, that people aren't out there by themselves being taken advantage of by the world or throwing away their responsibilities or taking advantage of other people, because all of those things bring reproach upon the church. Hmm. Now, we, do we need to take a break? Are we pretty close or we got some time? That'd probably be a good time for a break. Okay, let's take yeah, a break. Let's take a break. 
I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, so that kind of takes care of the observation. Again, observation really isn't complete until we've read the whole the whole book, but I would encourage people to do that, especially if, if this specific verse has interest to you. Read through the whole book of 1 Timothy and just kind of get Paul's general themes and, and the things that he's trying to get across to Timothy. But as we sort of transition to the interpretation stage, I think it's important to notice things along the way throughout the book, little clues that we've observed. One of them is that there's a pro- there's apparently a problem in Ephesus, that's where Timothy is, with false teachers who are deceiving people, leading people astray. We, we saw that word deceive several mm-hmm. times. And there also seems to be a problem specifically with women being deceived and led astray. And Paul ties that to Eve and says, Eve was deceived and led astray. Now, even in that text, the whole idea behind Eve being led astray and being deceived was that Adam, I believe, should have stepped in and defended his wife and and not allowed Satan to deceive her. Um, but but Paul is is picking up on this theme of women who are not participating in family life. Mm-hmm are more susceptible and vulnerable to being deceived by these false teachers that are running rampant in in Ephesus. Now, that that's no more derogatory towards women than it is to the men who are false teachers. Right. Not every man is a false teacher, and not every woman is being deceived into, into following or believing a false teacher. Mm-hmm. But Paul's point... And I think we ignore this at our own peril. Paul's point, and again, it, it doesn't fit with modern narratives about gender, <laughs> but it's true that single women who didn't busy themselves at home were even more vulnerable to these false teachers. Sure. Now, we could say, well, I don't like what that implies about women and whatever. Again, let's not jump to the application stage. But let's just kind of sit with this and say, Paul seems to be telling Timothy that you need to encourage women, and and the other side is true as well, encourage young men, and encourage everybody to live quiet, dignified lives, have a family, be busy at home, keep doing what you're supposed to be doing, because otherwise, everybody's sort of out there running around, they're not taking care of their relatives, they're not they're not feeding their relatives, they're not caring for them, yeah. they're, everybody's doing their own thing, then not only are they bringing reproach on the church, but then these false teachers are taking advantage of that because they've disconnected themselves from the social safety net, the spiritual safety net, not to mention right. financial safety net, of the family. Mm-hmm. That should be the first line of defense against poverty, that should right. be the first line of defense against false teachers. And when you disconnect yourself from that, either because you're a widow and your spouse has died or because you're a young woman and you just kind of want to go do your own thing or you're a young man and you just want to go do your own thing, whatever your gender, whatever your role is, 
if you disconnect yourself from the family, then you're setting yourself and the larger church community up for danger. Right. And and he's trying to, it's kind of like a, a, a wall with bricks. I'm looking at a brick wall right now. That's what made me think of that. But if there's a gap in that wall, mm-hmm. because one brick isn't doing its job, then it not only puts the bricks in the immediate vicinity in danger, it puts the whole wall, it puts the whole house into jeopardy. And Paul's trying to shore that up, saying Satan is trying to find any foothold he can get. He's Mm -hmm. trying to find any gap he can get. And if you're not participating in family life Mm -hmm. in some way and in the way you're supposed to, then you're setting yourself up and the rest of the community up for failure. And so he uses phrases that, so it's not just, he's not saying this theoretically. It's not just like, well, women are, you know, more susceptible than men are, or women are just not as smart. He's not saying anything like that. This seems to be a very real problem that they're having there. He says that there were some women who had strayed after Satan, 1 Timothy 5, 15. There had been women who had abandoned their former faith, chapter 5 and verse 12. Um, he says that uh, in chapter, or well, rather, Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6, so the next book, he speaks of false teachers who, quote, creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sin and led astray by various passions. Again, he's not saying all women are weak. He's mm-hmm. just saying that some women oh, yeah. have fallen prey to these false teachers. So right. here's one of the very practical things that we can do to to defend against that, yeah. and that is be busy at home, be active in your family, take care of your family, watch out for each other, help one another, bless one another. Yeah, I like that you just said practical there, because mm. it kind of goes back to when you were setting up the discussion of how we read the Bible, how we study the Bible, how we interpret the Bible, mm-hmm. about looking at their their context. Yes. What is he specifically addressing that they're going through? Mm-hmm. We can read that and go, oh, that attacks my modern sensibility. Right, and it's like, right. well, setting like setting aside for a second what yeah. it's saying to us, looking right. at their context. But another, uh, all these thoughts are, are coming together about all the things we're talking about, all the verses that we're looking at. And I keep going back to that verse in First Timothy 2, verse 2, quiet lives, you know, live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And then something about the other things, the other verses we've been looking at made me think about when Christ talks about when the Son of Man returns, you know, when when I was naked, you clothed me. Mm-hmm. When I was hungry, you mm-hmm. fed me. I think some, I, something I struggle with, I think something a lot of us struggle with in the Christian life is like, it's easy to look up to Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not always easy to follow him. And one of the reasons is when he puts himself in the place of the people you're going to interact with. Mm-hmm. When I was naked, you well, you know, they say, Lord, when, when did we see you naked and clothed? When did we see, find you hungry and feed you? Mm-hmm. He says, anytime you did it to the least of these, mm-hmm. right? And I think about, I mean, what Paul's talking about, the struggle that this church is having, that you're not, some people aren't even looking after their families. That's right. And that's the first responsibility God gives you, mm-hmm. whatever your place in the family is. Right, right. He's talking about grandchildren right. to their grand, right. whatever your place in the family right. is, that's your first responsibility. Yep. And if you don't do that, it's, it, you're, you're worse than an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. But I think as we know, it's like family can be really hard mm-hmm. and it can be really hard to look at a family member like you look at the savior who mm-hmm. you look up to. Mm-hmm. And 
that's, I think to me, the part of Christianity that practically Mm -hmm. Paul is getting at, that Mm -hmm. it's like, it's easy to look up to Jesus by definition. He's the best. He's the best there is. Mm -hmm. But you got to try to start seeing the people in your life, family, Mm -hmm. even he talks about the authorities. And Mm -hmm. that's that's something I know I've heard you talk Mm -hmm. about a lot, that that's really hard Mm -hmm. to start looking at the people in our life as Jesus and to try to treat them. Well, how would I, you know, how would I treat them if it was Mm -hmm. Jesus standing in front Mm -hmm. of me? And so when, I, when you said practically yeah. what Paul is getting at, I, I just think about that, that it's like this This really gets to the heart of everything that's hard about Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. looking up to Jesus. Yeah. It's treating people yeah. like him. Yeah, you know? right. Absolutely. And even when they're not acting like right. Jesus, yeah. that, that, that our job is to, is to, to the best of our ability, he says in Romans 12, to live at peace with all men, mm-hmm. to, to do what we can do, Galatians 6, to whatever whatever we can do good to people, do that good. Yeah. <laughs> do good yeah. to all men, especially to the household of faith. And here, there's an especially to our own immediate household. Mm-hmm. So whoever is in your immediate vicinity, live at peace with them, yeah. love them, take care of them, bless them, Honor your responsibilities. That's mm-hmm. a huge one right there. And it's one that, especially in a collectivist, ancient Near Eastern culture, would have been way higher on their priority list than it is in our very individualistic culture. And we'll, again, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to the application. But here's what he's saying. He's saying culture, society, rather society might be a better word, society has an order to it. Mm-hmm. And not everything in the ancient Near Eastern culture was good and society was good, but family is good. Right. And this idea that I could just go off and do my own thing and I don't have to take care of my family is nonsense. And it, it not only is, is bad, quote unquote, but it's, it's, it's putting people in danger. It's putting mm-hmm. households in danger and families in danger and individuals in danger. We need each other. We need community and we need family. And so Paul puts a high priority on family. That's why people, men have to be good at managing their households if they're going to be shepherds in the church. That's the proving ground for leadership in the church is how you lead and how you shepherd and how you manage your own family. That's the proving ground for the church. Family is important. And how you live in your family and take care of your responsibility, as you said, whatever your role, whether it's you're a grandchild or you're a niece or you're a nephew or you're an uncle or you're an aunt or you're a a mother or father or husband or wife, take care of and fulfill your responsibility. Don't allow the integrity of the family to collapse because if you do, it puts people in jeopardy. It Mm -hmm. makes people vulnerable. And, and so we'll get back to, let's look kind of with all of that in mind. Let's look again at first Timothy two, starting at verse 11. He says, and again, I I know this makes people uncomfortable because it, it does flies in the face of our ideas about individuality, our ideas about gender, our ideas about equality, our ideas about this dislike of hierarchy. We just don't like people being in authority. We don't like the word submission. All of those things make us uncomfortable. But if we're really going to say, hey, we're going to live out the gospel, whatever the implications, we really have to just 
yeah. marinate in this. Mm-hmm. He says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I don't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, again, the, the gist of that, where that whole phrase and the whole thing is landing is faith and love and holiness and self-control. And it's all within the context of living this sort of quiet, dignified, mm-hmm. godly life. And he says, in order for that to happen, in order for everybody, not just women, but men and women, sons and daughters, husbands and wives, grandfathers and grandmothers, in order for everyone to live out this quiet, dignified, godly life, it's going to require us respecting the hierarchy and the structure of family life. And it's going to mean people can't just go willy-nilly and do whatever they want to do. They have right. to honor the structure of the family that they're a part of and take care of one another and live within that. Because he takes this back to the created yeah. order, that this goes all the way back to creation, and that when we don't respect the created order of the universe, then we get ourselves into trouble. We put ourselves into a vulnerable position. Now, does that mean that men are better than women? No, of course not. Paul's not saying that. Nobody's making that argument. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say nobody's making that argument because people have, specifically sure. men have, used passages like this to abuse women, to put women under their thumb, to, to lord over them. Nothing in this passage tells men to force women to submit. Hmm. That's not a Christian thing to do. That's not a godly thing to do for a husband to make his wife submit. What is a godly thing to do is for all of us to find our place in the created order and to take care of our responsibilities as a person who finds themselves in that position. So I'm a son, and because I'm a son, I didn't choose to be a son. I was born a son. As soon as I came into the world, that's the role I had. And I have responsibilities that fall on me because I am a son. And I have responsibilities that fall on me because I am a man. And so I didn't choose right. to have to take care of my family, my parents or my sisters, if if it becomes necessary for me to financially provide for them. I didn't necessarily choose that. The, the created order chose that. The creator chose that. Mm-hmm. This is the structure. This is, this is what's right and good and dignified. If I yeah. say, sorry, mom and dad, I don't live there anymore. Good luck. Hope that works out for you. Paul's saying, I'm, I am allowing the structure of family to break down, and I'm not fulfilling my responsibilities. And in the same way, they had apparently in Ephesus women who were being deceived, women who were being led astray. And part of the problem was because they were disengaging from family Mm -hmm. and living as part of family and taking care of family and being a part of that structure. And yes, submission and authority have something to do with that. Now, if a man is a follower of Jesus and a Christian, then the way he lives out that authority should be one of gentleness and kindness and, and, and even submission to and, and listening to and loving and gentleness and all of the fruit of the Spirit. 
But, but this is also true yeah. that, that we all have to recognize our own vulnerability and our own role in the family. And so I think it's within that that he uses this phrase, childbearing. She will be saved through childbearing. I think one way to, there, there are different interpretations. One interpretation is that women in general are saved through the childbearing of Mary. That because a woman brought the Savior. I had a note in my Bible about that. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's one idea, is that a woman, and it is singular here, that Mm -hmm. that's the the proof of that, she, that a woman brought the Savior into the world, which brings salvation into the world. So through childbearing, women are saved because of the one woman who brought the Savior into the world. That's one possibility. Another interpretation is that um, women will be, will be, preserved through childbearing, that they'll mm-hmm. survive childbearing if they are godly and holy and live with self-controlled lives. So that they, as if, another way to put it would be, they, they will be saved through the fire of childbirth. They will be saved through the, the trial of, of childbirth. That's another interpretation. I think, this is Wes's interpretation, again, taking into consideration the, the gist of the entire book, is that I think Paul is using childbearing as sort of shorthand for a phrase like he uses in chapter 5 and verse 14, that a woman should, or a widow should, marry, bear children, manage their household. Hmm. I think childbearing there means something similar to marry, bear children, manage their household. Sure. That it's just sort of shorthand for saying, go be a mom. Like, that's, that's, that's part of your role. Now, that's not to say... That's not to say that every that he expected every woman to bear children. Sure. Of course not, because some women can't bear children. And, a lot of the women in the early church that were foundational were not. Absolutely. Mothers, yeah. Were single and, and never married. And so, of course not. He's talking in generalities here. Right. He's talking in, in generalities. He's getting back to that created order, it, what was intended. Exactly. The created order. Not every man is going to be a husband. Sure. But if a man is a husband, here's how he should live out mm-hmm. marriage. Not every woman is going to be married, but if she's married, here's how she should live out marriage. Not right. every woman's going to bear children, but when she does, this is how she is to do that. And speaking about women in general, this is the sort of women we need in the church. We right. need women in the church who are going to help keep families together. And again, as we sort of transition to the application part of this, we... the the modern movements concerning individuality and 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 just sort of doing what we want identity identity yeah. uh the, gender all of these things fly in the face of this and and i think that we should be able to sort of step back and say are we better off are we better off saying, who cares about family? Who cares about my responsibility to my parents or to yeah. my children or to be part of, of something bigger than myself? Or, you know, are we better off just saying, I'm just going to pursue my own personal dreams and wants and wishes? Mm-hmm. It's a very modern way of thinking. Sure. And, and it's even a very modern Christian way of thinking. And, mm-hmm. and we hear so many sermons about, 
Just go be you, you be you, do you, and follow your hopes and dreams. And for so long, it's interesting, for so long, children's movies, cartoons were all about that. Like, we're all about the breakdown of family to say, you know, your parents don't understand you, they don't get you, go out and do your own thing. And I'm really seeing a transition as a lot of family movies, cartoon, children's movies, become more multicultural they're noticing that actually other cultures aren't necessarily so much that way and like Encanto was a really interesting movie because it talked about the dynamics of family and the responsibility that even the entire clan sort of has to one another to help one another and to take care of one another to listen to one another and I thought that was that's a that's a very interesting take on family in in our in our current current context. Mm. And it's a whole lot more in keeping with what we would find in the first century. Um, kind of to tie that to one other passage from Titus chapter two, again, Titus and first and second Timothy are very similar type material. Mm. And he says that uh, they should, older women should train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Again, that's Paul's big concern, is that the word of God is not reviled, that people have nothing legitimately negative to say about the church because people are taking care of each other. Everybody is taking care of their responsibilities and people aren't abandoning their responsibilities. And also that people aren't left vulnerable because they're out there in the cold by themselves. And if people are left out in the cold by themselves and they're not part of a well-connected community and family, then they're susceptible to the deceit of Satan. And that's true of women and it's also true of men. And again, it's not to say that Paul thought every woman had to be married or that every woman had to have children. Again, he's talking in generalities. And he's, and again, I know that these were, these, these passages have been used to oppress women for a long time. And I freely admit that, but just because that's true, doesn't mean that we should swing to the opposite extreme and say, well, this has nothing to say to us today. I think there's a lot of good application here about, yeah, family is super important and living in and taking care of our family and being quiet and living lives where we're not out making a spectacle of ourselves and we're not out just chasing our own personal dreams, but we're, we're, we're taking care of each other in very real, tangible, practical ways that this actually brings honor to Jesus and, yeah. and reflects well on the church. Well, I was noticing you did something earlier, which is similar to what Paul does here in first Timothy two, which is he zooms out yeah, where he's talking about, like we said, you know, clearly there's some specific things going on here that he needs to address, yeah. but he's to, to address it. He zooms out in verse 13 of chapter two for God made Adam first afterward. He made Eve, and he's referencing that original story mm-hmm. and he's talking about our formation. And you kind of did that when you said, I didn't ask to be a son. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask to be a man, mm-hmm. but that's, those are the cards I'm dealt. What am right. I going to do with it? Yeah. And to go back to that responsibility idea that he's, I mean, this seem, seemingly this whole book is kind of getting at, this whole letter, uh, that's something that I've come to appreciate more and more throughout my 20s, that it's mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, you have your things that you want to do, mm-hmm. but you've been dealt a certain hand, mm-hmm. and it's not a, you know, it's not mm-hmm. a bad hand, mm-hmm. it's your hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... You know, I've known, I've known, I mean, like we've all known people that have had 
different variations of struggles with their families. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, it is your family. Mm -hmm. And as much as it depends on you, that that's your responsibility to try to keep them together, to try to take care of them. And I, I think about zooming out even further. It's like, well, whatever part of your existence, whatever part of your identity or whatever you want to kick against, Mm -hmm. it's like, zoom out even further. None of us asked to be here at all. Right. We all found ourselves in this life. Right. So do you want to spend the whole time kicking against it Mm -hmm. and giving into the sinful nature that, Mm -hmm. that tells you, you know, I don't have to do the things Mm -hmm. that I've been, you know, I don't have to deal with the situation I've been Mm -hmm. put into. I can just come up with another one. I can just Mm -hmm. imagine another one and Mm -hmm. that's how it's going to be. Or do you want to give into your formation? Yeah. And maybe, Maybe that's the best. I was like thinking about just use your imagination. Maybe that's the best life you can live. Right. Is by living the best life according to your formation mm-hmm. and your responsibilities you've been you've been given. Yeah. When I, I think I think it's helpful to look at people in other cultures and to think about someone, even if you've never been there. We we've seen enough documentaries and we we've we've heard enough mission reports to know that there are people our brothers and sisters in Christ, for instance, that are living in a third world country. Maybe they're living in a small village somewhere and they are happy. Mm-hmm. They are happy being quiet farmers, mothers and daughters and husbands and wives, loving and taking care of their family and the people in their church community and the, their neighbors and, and taking care of each other and just living one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And we look at that and say, yeah, but we have so much more stuff. And isn't it great to have all of our cars and our houses and our smartphones and our clothes and our, our degrees and our whatever. And it's like, but is it? But that's like, not what sustains you when things get hard. Right. That's exactly right. And are we really any happier or are we more anxious, mm-hmm. and more discouraged and more depressed than people who are living exactly like these lives? Right. And the, that's not to say that, well, we should all go move to a third world country. And it's not to say that we need that, that capitalism is bad or that technology is bad or that cars and houses are bad. But it, it, it's to say that these words are incredibly relevant to us. Right. Seek to live a quiet, dignified life. Right. Take care of your family responsibilities. Live Live as a follower of Jesus in whatever role you find yourself. So if you're married, be married and live out the fruit of the spirit in your marriage. If you're, if you're, if you have children, then then live that out. And and it's not a bad thing to settle down, to get married, to have kids, to live a quiet life. Or again, that may not look like your specific situation, but it it might. But the big picture is live in such a way that you bring honor and glory to Jesus, that your lifestyle reflects well on the church, and that you bless the people that are around you. That's what it is to live as a disciple in any culture, at any time, in any context. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.